Welcome back to Canada's Young Leaders, a podcast exploring bold ideas for our country's future. This is the climate season, where we'll be speaking with young environmental leaders about the roles of governments, corporations, and individuals in combating climate change. We'll also look at the COVID-19 pandemic and the opportunity it presents to build back better. This season, we hope to educate both our listeners and ourselves about the biggest issue our species has ever faced, the battle to save planet Earth. Welcome back, everybody, to Canada's Young Leaders. Today, we are talking about the relationship between climate change and reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. On the show, we have Miskakwin James Harper, who wears a number of different hats. He is a development analyst intern at uh, NR Store. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's working on a master's in renewable energy at École Polytechnique. And he is also part of launching the 7 Gen 2021, which is a summit for Indigenous youth to learn about building a sustainable and equitable future for all. So super cool. James, welcome to the show. Yes, happy to be here. Thank you. James, yeah, we're so, so delighted to be able to speak to you about this huge topic and we'll never be able to cover all the issues that we'd like to but we'd really like just to start with um, a context setting piece you're a young leader uh, in the ecological movement uh, in the indigenous community in canada Um, you've got a really exciting uh, background of things you've uh, been studying and 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 working on uh, uh, energy efficiency uh, highly efficient batteries uh, and so many other things as a mechanical engineer but could you tell us a little bit about at a high level, the role of Indigenous peoples in Canada, in your view, to helping us move the country forward to restore our ecology and, and, and frankly, help save uh, our country and the world uh, in the face of climate change? Wow, yes. I, I think the, the answer is actually quite, quite straightforward. You know, owing to the fact that prior to colonization, uh, Indigenous people knew how to live on the land and from the land without destroying it. And it was it was a, a true remarkable design of, of coexistence of basically uh, humanity and nature as, as one. And it, you know, that's that's basically the answer is is indigenous people, even to this day, carry a high amount of, of values and teachings embedded right into our own culture, our own language, our own tradition. Um, that care for the the earth for for generations to come. So I guess the the, the easy answer or, or the the quick answer is that in order for us to to actually make meaningful climate change or climate action, excuse me, and and really live live in a world where the our, where our nature is conserved and preserved for our children and our great grandchildren. The, the answer lies within the knowledge and traditional systems of indigenous people. So, so are you are you saying there there needs to be this ideological shift away from, you know, this traditionally Western perspective of viewing nature, the natural world, uh, as an exploitable resource, and actually, you know, trying to learn more from indigenous communities, indigenous leaders, about respecting the land, living with the land as opposed to you know taking and destroying it uh, and if so if if i am framing that correctly how do we go about doing that that you know that's absolutely absolutely what needs to happen 
Uh, I would say the ideological piece is, is sort of what will set the foundation for what needs to happen. Um, so just addressing the, the ideological piece, it really is trying to figure out how we reframe uh, our, our livelihoods on, on this planet in terms of uh, all the things that we take for granted and all the things that we do um, and trying to recognize that, that, our, that our Earth is a complex system of, of balance. And, and it, it's clear from, from a lot of scientific evidence now that the balance is that we're out of balance. And, and we really need to check how we, how we interpret our livelihood to, to better get back to, to that point of balance. But livelihood is, is just the foundation. What, what in terms of, of manifesting that livelihood, at least one pathway is, is involving empowering Indigenous people to, to lead that change, to, to actually manage and, 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 and own, I guess, the land itself and, and become self-empowered and self-determined to, to lead their own conservation programs, for example, um, to, to live their own livelihoods. And that's not just for reconciliation, or just to you know undo the traumas of the past, but that actually is for our own survival and our own our own human health on, on this on this planet too. So it's interesting. I mean, the the whole issue um, of uh, colonization is got on one side uh, of the coin. The other being, of course, self determination. Uh, and you know, I, I I personally like to think that there's a the beginning um, of an awakening of, of the Canadian population to the huge importance of Indigenous self-determination uh, in this country. And my, my question is, I guess, is that what I'm hearing to be one of the pathways towards ensuring that we have a sustainable environment? Is that, in fact, it's the finally the transfer of, of power, of rights and resources to those who are the best keepers and stewards of the environment that that sustains us all. That's absolutely right. Um, you know, one of my favorite statistics to, to always throw out there is that Indigenous people of, of the world represent less than 5% of the global population, but protect over 80% of the Earth's biodiversity. And that, that is a true testament to, to the kind of responsibility and the kind of stewardship that despite even all of the trauma and all of the wrongdoings associated by colonization, Indigenous peoples today, um, through, through various means, um, continue to defend and, and conserve a lot of that biodiversity, um, which I also will point out that the loss of biodiversity and, and climate change itself also disproportionately affects Indigenous people. Um, so it, it Indigenous people are, are more affected by the loss and, and the climate change and, and all this, but they are also the answer. We are also the answer to, to solving, you know, the climate crisis and the loss of our, our biodiversity. J James, can you talk to us a bit about the ways in which climate change disproportionately affects uh, Indigenous communities? Can you give us an example or two? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there are countless stories, even where, where I'm from. I'm from northern Alberta, uh, Surgeon Lake Cree Nation in, in Treaty 8 territory. My, my uncles, my, my great uncles and my grandfathers, um, they, they continue to hunt on the land and trap 
uh, as they were taught. But but more and more, more of the feedback we get is that it's, it's more difficult to, to get a moose for the family, for example. Um, our traps are coming back emptier. Uh, and the waters that, that we use while we are going about the land and hunting is becoming more and more contaminated. And, and part of the reason why it's actually very direct is that not only climate change is happening, but development is happening right on that very land that is contributing to that climate change. So we have, uh, we have abandoned wells, we have uh, uh, fracking discharge water that is sort of pooled and not necessarily contained in the right way. Um, and as well as we, we have habitat loss um, for, for, the, for all of the wildlife that, that exists there. So um, our own livelihood is, is at stake and that is in due in part because of that development and, and climate change. Should, should, should we ban that kind of development in, in these indigenous communities? Why, why, do that, why does that continue to be allowed if it's, if it's clearly polluting the, the natural environment and preventing these communities from living off the land? I, I ask that question a lot, and, and this, is, this is the part of the reason why I, I do this work is, you know, at the end of the day, the sort of responses that I get here and there all sort of amount to, I guess, the, the world that we live in, the energy world that we live in, which is petroleum heavy. And, and there's so many different facets to that. There's so many economic, socioeconomic and political pieces to why we do live in an oil-based society. But the, the fact of the matter is we continue to have a very high reliance on fossil fuels, and that really drives that development to happen on, on land such as where I'm from at the cost of our livelihood. I want to ask you, James, a little bit about yourself. You're, you're clearly um, not just a student, but a, a master of, of these issues that we're facing. You've obviously been thinking about these issues uh, for a very long time. And I'm just wondering about your own background and what brings you so passionately to these issues, your, if you will, road to um, becoming um, a, a, a young leader in, in this space. I, I reflect on my path a lot, you know, just to make sure that I'm always remaining focused on what I what I really want to do. And, and that, to me, is contributing to, I guess, ensuring that the future generations, my nephew, for example, and, and the generations ahead of him, you know, I've explored a lot of cool places, a lot of like, like breathtaking, you know, mountains and, and lakes and, and got to enjoy you know, fresh water coming from from the glaciers, and you know all all of the all of the wonders that this that this planet has to to offer us and and to gift us, and and all and all of those wonders are are very sacred and also very fragile. Um, so part of my mission that I made for for my journey and for my life is making sure that my nephew and generations ahead of him can also enjoy the gifts uh, of the of the earth as much as I could. It, it almost sounds like a like a personal responsibility is that is that something that you know you've you've got within you know from from you know having been through you know the scholastic institutions and communities and like the, that kind of um, large highway that you've been you know walking towards which obviously includes beautiful lakes and tremendous um, vistas uh, from from the from the land that we all share but what, where is it? Is is that right? Is this a, a sense of responsibility um, for what's what's coming 
uh, in front of us? Absolutely, yes. And I would I would go for, forward and say that it's a reflection of my own Cree uh, upbringing from from my family. Yeah, it was instilled uh, from an early age that we we do have, you know, we have rights. Uh, everybody has rights to you know the 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 basic necessities of life and and to enjoy a healthy happy life but we also have a responsibility and part of that responsibility that i grew up with was that stewardship piece was making sure that that the the home the common home that we all share uh is is still here and and will continue to still be here and that when when i eventually do carry on into the spirit world um, that I will be proud of, of that I did as much as I could to protect it. I I think about that too. You know, like we we are living in such critical years right now. We know the the next ten years really are are the make or break years. And so, you know, for me, I kind of I'm still thinking about my my place in all of this. And the podcast is kind of a way to do that, right? To have these discussions to hopefully. Uh, learn about all kinds of these issues, and hopefully our listeners are are learning uh, as well. But I, I guess that kind of leads me to the youth bit of it, right? You you and I are both um, you know young people, uh, and the the burden has largely fallen on us. So I guess what you know in the next ten years, James, what what do you kind of see the role of young people being uh, in advocating for? Uh, these these major or combating these major issues like climate change, indigenous reconciliation, and you know how they are so clearly linked. Youth play a, a fundamental role in in shaping the policies and and all of the initiatives that that we will be carrying forward. I say this uh, the day after my my twenty sixth birthday, but you know looking back, I, I feel like that youth have such a strong outlook. On, on what the future can be. And, and most importantly, youth will be, will be the, will be inheriting all of the, all of the policies, all of the initiatives that were undertaken, um, you know, before them. So it's, it's imperative that, that youth are a part of those conversations to continue uh, a dialogue of sustainability and not just sustainability in the lens of, you know, environments and, and climate action, but also sustainability of, of governance and sustainability of, of you know, social structures and, and social well-being as well. Right. Okay, we have got to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to get back into it in the second half, talking about the just transition uh, and some potential solutions. We're going to be right back with James Harper. is it? Have you ever thought about the lyrics in our national anthem? Our home and native land? I mean, it's a blatant lie. This is not our native land. Long before settlers came to Canada and the rest of North America, this continent was called Turtle Island, inhabited by indigenous peoples since the beginning of human history. We are assuming that the majority of people listening to this podcast are non-Indigenous and therefore belong to a family that immigrated to this country at some point in the last 400 years. 
The aim of this little segment is to encourage you to check out whose land you're on and whether it's ceded or unceded. Montreal, for example, is part of the traditional territory of the Kanyankehaka, which you probably know as Mohawk. This land was never surrendered or sold to the Canadian government, which is why we say unceded. You can check out whose land you're on by going to native-land.ca. Thanks, everyone. And one more thing. Let's change those lyrics to our home on native land. Thank you for letting me sing, Nicholas. Welcome back, everyone, to Canada's Young Leaders. We're here with Miss Gokwin James Harper. Uh, James, we're so pleased to have you on the show. Fab- fabulous uh, first half. I can't believe that 15 minutes went that quickly. We'd like now to kind of get into the second half by by really talking a little bit more specifically about these these issues of of, of what do we actually do and. You know, we talked about self-determination as one language, reconciliation uh, as another language, as as a pathway to climate action uh, amongst many other ends. And I'm just wondering if you could speak a little bit to what are some of the ways forward on the reconciliation front um, that will have such potentially remarkable impacts uh, on climate? I'm I'm a big fan of of, of you know the 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 plan basically that we can't really achieve any meaningful climate action without reconciliation and empowerment of indigenous people. And, you know, in terms of actionable steps, you know, the first, one of the first things to do is, is to honor the treaty, honor a lot of the legal mechanisms that have been, have been put into place, historically speaking, throughout Canada. What a lot of the treaties do is, is basically our, our, our basic articles that say Indigenous people can coexist in, in peace and prosperity with the rest of Canadian society, um, granted that we can all share the resources and, and the gifts of the resources of, of, of the land itself. Um, and that would be served as a framework to, to further empowerment. And one of the biggest, best examples that I love is uh, Indigenous protected and conserved areas. We have a couple, I, I, I think, in Canada, but we have one in Northwest Territories, where basically the the Dene people of of the Northwest Territories there manage their own conservation programs and ensure that that a lot of the habitat there is is protected and conserved. There's there's pretty much no no uh, permission to to develop on those lands, and and part of doing so, not only are Indigenous people getting back their livelihoods and and empowered on their own land. But we're also achieving climate action by having vast amount of protected forests serving as carbon sinks uh, as well. So, you know, that's just that's just one example. But but one of the biggest ways to move forward is is honoring the relationship of, of Indigenous people and, and, and fulfilling the commitments and promises that were made to them. Right. Um, J- James, I'm hoping you could just clarify something for me, because it's not totally clear in my mind when you when you say honor treaties who exactly are you looking at to honor those treaties how do we do that exactly mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of a lot of the a lot of their responsibility does fall on the canadian government to to look at the treaties and 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 really like look through all of the articles of each treaty and and basically fulfill them um, i mean it's a, it's as simple as that a lot of the articles in the treaties have gone unfulfilled or otherwise ignored. 
and and you know a lot of it was intentional as as the project of, of colonization but as as we look forward to to reconciliation it's it's about for example that treaty right to education and a lot of uh, in a lot of number treaties there's a right to education well you know that that is a right that it says on paper but indigenous people there's a funding gap of one to two thousand dollars per student per year for k-12 yeah. funding um so that to me isn't an, an honor treaty right 100 percent. you know i'm i'm a teacher myself and you know i i look around me and and the school where i work you know these are teachers who have really good intentions who want to bring you know this uh knowledge of of past wrongs uh teach kids about our role as allies uh, as we move forward uh, in the process of, of reconciling the relationship. But I, I wonder what you would say to, you know, uh, teachers and more broadly allies. What what can we do as non-Indigenous people to help move forward in this process? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's, so that's the other part of the of the responsibility. Um, a lot of it is is the Canadian government, but but every Canadian in general, has a responsibility to understanding the, the relationship between themselves and the Indigenous people that are still here today. So, so part of it is, is awareness, for instance, and I'm a big fan of, of uh, culture camps and, and curriculum exchanges and all of this. Um, you know, we're talking about education systems, for example, and, and here, here's another example, too, of, of where we can achieve climate action as well. Is, is the knowledge transfer and land-based education, you know, not, not just limited to, to Indigenous peoples, Indigenous youth, but, but to pretty much the entire Canadian population, um, land-based learning and, and education and, and curriculum taught by elders, for example, um, can, can really instill the, the meaningful relationship that we need to have with nature, with the earth, um, and, and also build it, uh, build the back the relationships, much stronger relationships between indigenous and non-indigenous people. Yeah. And, and it's funny just to kind of go off of that, uh, this, this, there's a whole new theme in, in the world of Canadian education, uh, which is about inquiry, right? It's not, it, we're moving away from the, 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 the test, uh, or, you know, the, the presentation, uh, as the only way to to evaluate or assess learning, we're actually moving more towards getting outside into nature. Uh, I, I did my studies in BC, and this was huge over there. Was actually feeling the world, experiencing it, and you know, learning things for ourselves as opposed to just memorizing stuff uh, in a textbook and and then and then doing a test, and then you you kind of forget. Sorry, Dad. I, I know it was your turn to ask a question. I I apologize. I had to jump in. You know, I got it. I got it. I got it. You, you, you felt it. You needed to, you needed to uh, say that. It's great. I, I, you know, I've got so many questions. I'm just not sure which one to ask. I, I, I want to ask you about UN DRIP, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples and, and its importance in this whole space. But I also want to do a shout out to Indigenous Clean Energy. This is the way we get to know you a little bit, James, is through this, uh, I think, important organization. In full disclosure, I used to work for the McConnell Foundation, which funds, I think, this fabulous um, uh, initiative, which has multiple layers to it. But I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind speaking a little bit about um, Indigenous Clean Energy, the Catalyst Program, 
and what it's doing to try to build capacity of individuals to to take these uh, issues on within indigenous communities and 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 off reserve as well, uh, and and maybe um, as well um, uh, your own your own relationship with with that organization and, and that pedagogy. Yeah, so so Indigenous Clean Energy, uh, a fabulous organization. Um, I'm I'm so proud of of the work that they that are they are continuing to do and they're expanding. Um, I got involved with them uh, through the 2020 Catalyst program that they have um, that has been going on, I believe, for five or six years now. Um, cohorts of about 20, 20 people from across Canada basically uh, attend a three-week intensive uh, capacity building um, training initiative where we basically learn the ins and outs of clean energy development. Um, and, and there's so many different facets um, besides the, you know, all the technical, all the environmental, the legal, the financial work. There's, there's so much work that goes into actually developing a project. You know, the three weeks are, are awesome, but they, you know, they're just a stepping stone and hopefully act as a, as a catalyst, as, as, the, as the title implies, to, you know, once the community members get back to their, to their, respective, their respective homes and their nations, that they can actually now see through clean energy development in their own communities. Oh, that's that's fantastic! I yeah, I, I um, just want to, as I say, do a big big shout out to them because they're also working in communities directly to try to build the capacities within the community um, uh, itself, uh, within the leadership, to try to get an agenda going um, that is indigenous led, of course. Um, that that builds those reflexes and those capacities right into the community planning. So, I you know I see such a, an amazing promise uh, of of that um, uh, in in the future, and, and cross our fingers that they they succeed mightily. I can't help but ask another question, James, if you'll permit me, and a bit of a preface is that, of course, there isn't an Indigenous people of Canada. There's Indigenous peoples of Canada. We have we have um, uh, many, many different uh, Indigenous peoples in our country and man, many with different perspectives on the issues around uh, climate action. Uh, all agree that we need to improve our footprint, but all, many are acting in different ways. Uh, we saw in the headlines, uh, I think it was last week or, or the week before, that um, one of the BC, uh, several of the BC First Nation communities are actually investing in and, and are likely to become co-owners of uh, the Trans Canada Pipeline. Um, and I, I'm wondering if you're comfortable maybe speaking about that in in the context of this entire interview uh, that we've been having, uh, and and you know how that fits in the in this in this discourse. So so I will just preface my my answer that that you're absolutely right that. So a lot of uh, a lot of indigenous peoples across Canada, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of commonalities in, in, in terms of our, you know, where we come from, our common history, and all of this. But a lot of a lot of different nations also have their own respective, you know, their own teachings and, and values and all that. So I don't I don't necessarily want to comment on on you know their thinking or past judgment on what they're doing per se. Um, but I will comment that that coming from Alberta, you know, the, the big oil of, of Alberta and even my own community being, I, I don't know if I should say pressured, but, but influenced into, into investing into petroleum-based projects of our own, um, I can't help it but think that for, for a long time, our community has been economically dispossessed. We've been basically deprived of any economic livelihood um, through very 
explicit policies that say, you know, Indigenous people cannot sell, you know, X, Y, Z. We can't be employed over here and over there. Um, right. This discrimination still still continues. So I can't help but think that a lot of our Indigenous people in our communities are, are going through extreme poverty, extreme, uh, extreme hardship. Um, and, you know, then comes about petroleum developer company, um, you know, says, can you co-invest with us and you'll make quite a bit of money? Um, you know, we're, we're stuck in between a hard and a rock place, a rock and a hard place, excuse me, um, because, because a lot of our own people need that, you know, that economic sustenance to, to live a moderate livelihood um, and, and elevate ourselves outside of poverty. Meanwhile, if we do such things, if we do invest in such things, we are sacrificing a lot of our uh, environmental ethics and a lot of a, a lot of that, even that sustainability in the in the future. So that's that's my that's my whole take on on that part. It actually is very very close to my heart. Um, you know these these issues because I do understand it's it's a very sensitive topic, and and one that isn't just you know. There are Indigenous people who, who invest in that and, and don't invest in this. It's, it's a very complicated answer that has to do with colonization and, and, our, and our teachings and all of that. It's uh, so tricky. And, and of course, you can't, you can't blame people for you know, uh, accepting work when it comes your way. And you know, we, we've, we've talked on the show and you hear all over the place, you know, people who work in uh, coal or in oil, like these are not bad people, right? Uh, and we, we can't villainize them. We need to work towards, you know, providing these same people with jobs that are actually clean jobs. You know, this kind of brings me to the last question, because uh, we're, we're just about out of time here. You know, we, we have heard a lot uh, in the States about the Green New Deal, right? And this idea of a just transition, that fighting climate change is not just about reducing carbon emissions. It's actually about building a better society, a more sustainable society for everyone. In Canada, we have the the pan-Canadian framework, not really the same thing. I guess my question, my, my final question, James, is are you satisfied with the Canadian government's approach uh, at this current stage uh, to the climate file? And, and if not, what are we not doing that we need to do? So I think it's very easy for, for a lot of uh, the political rhetoric to say, you know, yeah, we're doing so great because, um, you know, we're we're very pro-climate and we're, we're on the Paris Agreement and all of this. And it's it's great. You know, that's that's all good stuff. But the real the real sort of substance I'm actually disappointed in, um, you know, so the classic case of, of the Canadian government uh, investing in into the, the, the what was it, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, you know, it's just a big slap in the face to to all the talk that they have about climate action, and and even more so, uh, uh, you know, alluding to my previous point, if we're really serious about climate action, we would really consider, we would actually make this actionable. We would empower Indigenous people to be the rightful, lawful, and economically recognized stewards of of our vast biodiversity and and habitats across this. Uh, this great nation, um, which would, forgive me, but this would include, uh, you know, a big stop, a big halt to a lot of the petroleum-based development that is still ongoing. James, needless to say, um, we're in entire agreement with you. I mean, we, we need to, just as we've done with coal, 
we need to pick a date where there won't be oil coming out of the ground. We just, we have no choice. And I don't know what that date actually should be. We have to be, as Nicholas said before, very sensitive to the livelihoods that our fossil fuels do uh, support. But we have to act in earnest. And and your your call out here today uh, uh, is um, is just a reminder of, of how urgent it all is. And we're so thankful uh, for you to be on the show, uh, James. You've just so wise, wise beyond your years. Um, and, and as I say, we're, we're very grateful. And um, we also know it was your birthday yesterday. So uh, yeah. Canada's Young Leaders is going to do a quick, quick, quick singing here. It's not going to be the whole song, but we're doing it. Ready, Nicholas? One, I'm two, ready. Three. Let's go. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to, to you. you. Happy birthday, birthday to, to James. Why are you being so like stuttery? <laughs> I'm not. You're being stuttery. Anyway, nah, James, man. James, you get you. We, we're um, trying to sing to I you. Appreciate it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That was a crash and burn moment. I don't suspect the listeners appreciate it very much. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, James James Harper, you're you're one to watch, and uh, as I say, we're, we're we're grateful you've spent some time with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for the for the song. If 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 I may, just <laughs> just for a few more, uh, just if you guys have a few more minutes, I just wanted to t- touch on one more thing. Go for it. Of course, please. Just just in the context of, you know, the current global pandemic that we're in and, you know, the circumstances that everybody's, that we are all in as a collective uh, right now, um, you know, a lot of it, so, so the source of, of COVID-19, you know, it's still, it's still being investigated. We don't know for sure. Um, but there has been some, uh, some, some studies that allude to a, sort of a zoonotic origin um and and sort of spillover activities associated with with uh you know various animals and 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 insects and and actually diseases born out of animals and insects called spillover events are are mostly attributed seven out of ten of those are attributed to biodiversity loss so if we're going to talk about uh protection of biodiversity and conservation um you know an additional sort of uh, benefit, aside from reconciliation, aside from climate action, is the very future of human health. It means that you know the malaria, for example, you know its its spread range will will decrease if if we stop deforesting uh, a lot of the a lot of the forests, you know, in, in a lot of portions of, of the world. Um, it means that if if we keep a, a good managed safe distance away from, from, you know, human settlement and, and natural habitat and allow that co- coexistence to, to happen in that, in the safe boundary, it means that the future of human health will also be preserved and intact for, for a future generation. Right. As though, you know, reconciling the most historic wrong that Canada has ever had uh, and saving the planet weren't enough. Protecting biodiversity also uh, preserves uh, the entire, you know, human population's health. So, <laughs> I, love, I, yeah. I love how you just threw it out there. Like, oh, by the way, uh, also this, <laughs> boom. So that's but, why you know you guys are like, you know, why not? Why why don't we do all these things? And yeah, I I, yeah. I ask that question a lot too. I and mean, it's like, this, well, this is- short. Short-term profit, you know, that's yeah. uh, that's the biggest thing in the way. Anyway, James, thank you so much for uh, for joining us on Candies and Leaders. It has been a pleasure, and we wish you all the best in the future. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you, James. Thanks for listening to Canada's Young Leaders. 
If you like the show, leave us a rating and review on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts, or share this episode with a friend. It's the best way for the show to grow. Special thanks to Cam Duffin and his band Lost Cousins for our theme music, to Meredith Lindsay for our logo, and to Tom Zalatni for producing our show. You're the best, Tom. Canada's Young Leaders is a proud member of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. I'm Tom Zalatni, executive producer of the Upford Network and host and producer of Up for Discussion, a podcast about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. But wait, isn't Up for Discussion a comedy podcast? It sure was, but things change. It's a food show now, and it's a very, very good food show. Every week, I dig into a different ingredient, dish, meal, or cuisine with help from friends and guest experts who know way more about this stuff than I do. Do you like food? Of course you do. You're a person. So you will like this show. Go listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Up for discussion. It's a food podcast now. Brought to you by the Upford Network. I'm October Jones, and Hi, this is... I'm Fish with Legs. I'm a fish with legs. Fish. I'm the elemental creature of water. And I'm here to tell you about my podcast called October Jones and Fish with Legs. Starring me and my best friend... <laughs> October Jones. Nailed it. October and Fish is a fictional series that follows me and Fish with Legs as we try to stop an evil two-headed snake from releasing a terrible monster. And make friends, and go on adventures, and get captured a lot, and escape a lot, and encounter racism. And what? And learn very special lessons every third episode. I have not learned a single lesson. Yes, you did. We learned about being friends, and authoritarianism, and colonialism, and how to defeat a giant crab. Authoritarianism? They're in authority for a reason, Fish with Legs. If everyone followed the rules set in place by the human government, then there wouldn't be- for adults and kids. (laughs) New episodes on Mondays. You can find it wherever you find podcasts, and of course, on the Upford website.